Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On October 19th, seven storytellers shared their stories with our audience for our virtual slam. The theme for our October Story Slam was blood and guts. We heard stories about stubbed toes, childhood and adult accidents, and one very detailed description of what to do with hunting spoils. In the end, Randall Arthur won with his story about his snowy night encounter with a familiar neighborhood dog. Here's Randall. Hello, everyone. Um, My name is Randall. I want to give you just a brief history. I grew up answering to the nickname of Randy, and hence the title of my story. It's simply Amos A. Randy. I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is so close to Canada, they call it the Great White North, and it gets very, very cold in the winter. Because they're on the opposite end of the same time zone, where it gets dark in the cold winter at 5.30 or 6 here in Michigan, that means it gets dark at 4.30 or 5 at night, again, because it's the same time zone. I was on my way to my friend Kurt's house in the darkness, but it was really quite light because there was a full moon and it was clear as ever. And I'm walking through the snow through the field. It's it's about three city blocks to Kurt's house from back door to back door. And on my way there, it is so cold that the snow crunches under your feet. And the moon was so bright that The snow, it was like diamonds on a pile of sugar. It just glistened. It was beautiful. And as I'm walking to Kurt's house, I'm two-thirds the way there, and I hear Amos. Now, Amos is a golden retriever, about 80 pounds, friendliest dog in the universe. And he was out and about. He's not supposed to be out and about. Whoever would grab Amos by the collar and walk him home, would always get a a free handful of candy from Mrs. Van Rinkelstein, Kurt's mother. I was happy I hadn't had any candy in a while. So like, here, boy, I walk over to Amos and I reach out and I take him by the collar. I'm like, come on, let's go. And we start walking four or five steps. I'm just so happy with anticipation. I'm gonna get some candy. And just like that, blink of an eye, it all turns to shrieks of terror. Amos whipped his head to the left. He knew exactly where my hand was because I was holding onto his collar. I was wearing thick leather mittens that had a wonderful nylon lining. And he bit and he sank his teeth through the leather through the nylon, through my skin, through the muscle, right to the bone. And you would think he had a hold of an old sock. He was growling and swinging his head back and forth, my arms going this way and that way. He was playing. I wasn't. The pain started in my hand. It went right up my arm, through my chest, and it came out my mouth and my eyes. I screamed. Tears are coming down. I'm screaming. I'm doing everything I can to get him to let go. 
And he does. And I take a breath. But in the spirit of Cujo, Amos came at me again. I put my arm up and he latches on. I think the doctors counted 20 puncture marks through two shirts and a heavy jacket. I have no memory of exactly what happened after that. I know he let go. I don't know if I kicked him. I don't know if I pushed him away. I walked the hundred yards up the hill to uh, Kurt's house. I knocked on the door just like I would if I was waiting for him to answer and Mrs. Van Rinkelstein answered. I whimpered, Amos bit me. She didn't hesitate. Well, then get inside here. And, and she, she takes off my, my mitten and, and she turns on the water and sticks my hand in the sink. And, and the water, it washes away all the blood and you can see the bone. I'm, I'm just, I don't want to look anymore. So I don't. She, she pulls out a bottle of methylate, that red stuff. She pours it on it. I'm in shock. I feel nothing. She bandages up my hand. She calls my father. I, I, I walk out to the car, go to the hospital. The doctors couldn't sew it up because it was a dog bite. They, they just wrapped it up. And as I reflect on the story, God, this was 1978. You do the math. All I can think of was I didn't get any candy. Randall earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Congratulations, Randall. Next up, we have Dom Chiartino. Dom shared the story of impaling himself on a visit to Haiti. Um, thanks for all the stories tonight. They're wonderful. Uh, I bet you I'm not the only one that had to like choose from multiple blood and gut stories, right? I have several, but I landed on this one and I'm not one for one up and ship, but how many of you have phobias? Like, I, I can out phobia or phobias. I have several, but most of them uh, are not debilitating, thank God, but two of them are flying and the fear of heights. And in 2013, I was right about the age that I should have a midlife crisis and do something daring and different. And uh, uh, a missionary in Haiti, who was a music teacher, invited me to come teach to play guitar in Haiti for a week. And I was like, this is it. I have to do it. But uh, it meant getting on a plane, not only one plane, but two planes. Thankfully, they were short. Uh, I'd like to say it was the two grown men that were making the trip with me, holding my hands that got me through it. But I think it was also the wine and the Xanax. So um, that combination gave me the guts to go to Haiti. And we got there. We had to drive about an hour and a half south, which actually 90 miles south, which was like four hours in Haiti. Um, to get to this little town called Paz Boadam of 300 people and stay in this town without electricity. And um, we slept in the music school. And then the next morning I got up, it was before dawn. And uh, <clears throat> the, I looked up on the music building, which is probably about the height of maybe your average convenience store, like a little bigger than a house garage. And there was a ladder going up to it and a tent. And I said, what's the tent up there for? And the missionary said, oh, it's the sunrise is phenomenal. And sometimes the kids in the school sleep on the roof to get up to see the sunrise. It was still, it was still twilight. So it hadn't risen yet. I already conquered my fear of flying. So I'm like, you know what? I got to conquer this fear of heights. I got to go up that ladder and see the sunrise. So I climbed up and you know how it is. If anybody has a fear of heights, the higher you go, the woozy you get, 
So I'm like three steps from the top and I'm like, I got to come down real fast or I got to go up real fast. So I just gave it my all, grabbed the ledge of the building and pulled myself and jumped over the top onto the roof of this building. Now, building codes in Haiti are different than they are in the United States in so much as they probably don't exist. So uh, whatever non-existent uh, building code, builders, whatever missed, uh, my leg caught, which was a six inch piece of rusty rebar right into my lower right leg. And I looked down, it hurt. I knew immediately I was in trouble. Um, my blue and white sleep pants were now red from like the knee down. And I gasped and I was in shock, but not because of what just happened. True story, let's rewind to a week before I left. You have to go to a special work medical center to get shots when you're going to a third world country. So I had to get three shots out of pocket cost. Um, and it was totaling about 300 some dollars for me. And then the nurse looked at me and said, when was your last tetanus shot? And I said, oh, I know this. I stepped on a belt buckle in my room because I never pick up my clothes and I got a tetanus shot. Was it more than 10 years ago? No, it wasn't. It was like 96. No, it was like 2004. Back and forth in my head. I'm just like, you know what? I'm already paying all this money. No, I'm not getting a tetanus shot. Thank you very much. Um, and then she says, okay, so then we'll get the malaria. We'll get the whatever. And I said, yep. And I shit you not. She got up and something in my gut. I don't know if it was the voice of Jesus, Zeus, or Quentin Tarantino said, get the F in tetanus shot. So I stopped her and I said, you know what? Just grab the tetanus shot. And she turned to me and she said, that's a good idea. <laughs> and it turned out it was. Now, thankfully, um, the missionary climbs up on the roof, fast forward back to the roof, covered in blood. He says, oh, there's a doctor in the hills that can sew this up for you. Now, I don't know about you, but the words doctor in the hills in a third world country was not really comforting. So fortunately, by luck, um, my cohort that came to Haiti with me was a med student. And he butterflied it up. And I still have the scar there. Um, proudly display it to anybody who wants to see it. Missed the sunrise. <laughs> this was all going on. But that's not my favorite Haiti story. Because at the end of the week, um, it had not rained all week. It had been 100 degrees. And every day, the people from this village, the kids from this school, have to go get water from the well in these five-gallon jugs. They put it on a Red Rider wagon and wheel it to the to the well. And we realized we had been there full week and had not been to the well. It had not rained all week. We loaded up the bottles, went with the kids to the well. And I kid you not, when we got to the well, the skies opened up. It was a spiritual experience. It was beautiful. Um, which brings me to this, like all the great myths, all the great stories, they have blood and guts, right? Like all, all the spiritual traditions, the blood of Jesus, the Passover blood on the door. And in an simpler way, like Buddhism talks about how suffering is just essential to life. So I guarantee you all have blood stories and um, they, they inform it. I mean, no good transformation doesn't come without some sort of blood and gut stories, all the myths, right? All the legends, all the religious stories. So I hope all of you have the guts collectively um, to just get through any blood that might be shed and get to that great awakening. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Dom. 
Our final story on this month's podcast comes from Mina Edmondson. Mina shared detailed instructions on how to prepare squirrels for eating. Here's Mina. Hi, I'm Mina, and I'm excited to be telling a story tonight. Um, it's Saturday morning. My kids, the oldest is about six, four, something like that. I was pregnant with the youngest one. And my husband had gone out hunting with some buddies that morning. Well, here he comes in the door with about 10 squirrels holding on to him by the tail. And he walks in and throws them into the sink. Guess what? He expected me to clean his catch for the day. So I'm uh, sort of looking, the kids are excited. They've never seen 10 dead squirrels in one place before. And they climb up on the, the table, you know, on the chairs around the sink. And they're all excited. And they just want to see what's going to happen next. So I'm going to talk about the 12 steps of preparing squirrels for dinner. Okay, the first step, once they got situated, I put on my apron and I got out my knives and I sharpened them up because you really want a sharp knife if you're going to be skinning some squirrels. And I got out my big turkey roaster and I filled half of it with ice water and I filled the, the other half I set to the side because that's where the blood and the guts were going to go as I was cleaning these squirrels. The third step is you lay the squirrel on its back on the cutting board and you take the knife right in underneath the chin here and you slit the insides all the way down from the neck all the way down to the tail. All right. The fourth step is a hard one. You have to sort of open the squirrel up a little bit and reach your hand in to get the entrails and pull them out. Now, they are sort of in a membrane, and if you do it right, everything comes out together. You can just toss it into the bucket. You don't want to do it wrong because then you get blood and guts everywhere, and you might have to throw away the squirrel because you don't know what kind of bacteria or something that's been all over it. Then you have to take off its jammies. That's what I told the kids the next step is, is you have to take off its jammies. Do you know, um, you have that little baby in those terry cloth sleepers, you know, they're just sort of all shoved in there and you have to sort of open it up and reach in and grab that little fat leg and begin pulling it out and pulling it out until the leg and the foot pops out of it. Well, that was, Step five, now you have to repeat that for all of the other limbs. Reach in and pull it out. And as you pull it out, the feet come with it, you know, but the rest of the skin is laying there on the bottom. You do the arms and they're a little bit easier after you get the skin loosened up a little bit. So step seven, you have to snap the head of the squirrel off at the neck. And then you can hold it up and you have the, the head and the whole body, all of the skin, you know, the fur hanging off on one piece. And there in front of you is this naked little squirrel. So next step, step eight, you turn the water on and you begin washing them off, getting rid of what little blood there is because you were good at getting the entrails out and you uh, scrub it off to get any hair off of the skin because you don't want to end up eating 
squirrel hair later on. And then you have to start massaging it because you have to find all those little buckshots that are stuck throughout the skin of the squirrel, throughout the squirrel. So make sure you get all of them because you don't want to bite into buckshot when you're eating squirrel. It could break a tooth. So then you take and you put it into the salted ice water. And we were always told that when you put them in the water, that helps the uh, to get all the wild out of the, the whatever game that you're cleaning up with. So step 10, you have your blood and guts bucket. You have to go through that blood and gut bucket and get out all the hearts and all the livers. So in there digging in the bucket, you know, okay, there's 10 squirrels, there should be 10 hearts in here or 10 livers. And as you're pulling them out and setting them aside, because that's one of the best part of the squirrel is eating the, the liver and the hearts, right? You know, of course. So you put them in the bucket with the, the cold water as well. Now you have to clean up the entire work area. Step 11, clean everything up and you pull each one out of the ice water one at a time and you use your knife to quarter them. And about half of them you will put in the freezer for another day. But now it's time for step 12 as you prepare those little buggers to eat. You dip them in flour and salt and pepper and throw them in a skillet, you know, with just a little bit of oil and you fry them up nice and brown. You throw about two cups of water in the pot so that they begin to make kind of a gravy on top. You've got your mashed potatoes cooking and there you have your squirrel gravy and your mashed potatoes and your dinners already. 12 steps on how to cook a squirrel and clean a squirrel and get rid of all those blood and guts. This was the last Open Mic Story Slam of our season. All the winners from this year's Story Slam events will return to compete in our Grand Slam in November for the title of Best Storyteller in York. Updates on our events are available on our website, yorkstoryslam.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. A big thank you to our 2021 sponsor, KBG Injury Law, whose generous support is making this season possible. We hope to see you virtually or on stage soon. Thanks for listening.